Section 14 of The Morals, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. The Morals, Volume 1, by Plutarch. Translated by Several Hands. Corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. Of Superstition or Indiscreet Devotion. Our great ignorance of the divine beings most naturally runs in two streams, whereof the one in harsh and coarse tempers, as in dry and stubborn soils, produces atheism, and the other in the more tender and flexible, as in moist and yielding grounds, produces superstition. Indeed, every wrong judgment, in matters of this nature especially, is a great unhappiness to us, but it is here attended with a passion or disorder of the mind of a worse consequence than itself. For every such passion is, as it were, an error inflamed and as a dislocation is the more painful when it is attended with a bruise so are the perversions of our understandings when attended with passion is a man of opinion that atoms and a void were the first origins of things it is indeed a mistaken conceit but makes no ulcer no shooting no searching pain but is a man of opinion that wealth is his last good this error contains in it a canker it preys upon a man's spirits it transports him it suffers him not to sleep it makes him horn mad it carries him over headlong precipices strangles him and makes him unable to speak his mind are there some again that take virtue and vice for substantial bodies this may be sottish conceit indeed but yet it bespeaks neither lamentations nor groans but such opinions and conceits as these poor virtue thou wast but a name and mere jest and i choust fool did practice thee in earnest and for thee have i quitted injustice the way to wealth and excess the parent of all true pleasure these are the thoughts that call at once for our pity and indignation for they will engender swarms of diseases like fly-blows and vermin in our minds to return then to our subject atheism which is a false persuasion that there are no blessed and incorruptible beings tends yet by its disbelief of a divinity to bring men to a sort of unconcernedness and indifferency of temper for the design of those that deny a god is to ease themselves of his fear but superstition appears by its appellation to be a distempered opinion and 
conceit productive of such mean and abject apprehensions as debase and break a man's spirit while he thinks there are divine powers indeed but withal sour and vindictive ones so that the atheist is not at all and the superstitious is perversely affected with the thoughts of god ignorance depriving the one of the sense of his goodness and superadding to the other a persuasion of his cruelty atheism then is but false reasoning single but superstition is a disorder of the mind produced by this false reasoning every distemper of our minds is truly base and ignoble yet some passions are accompanied with a sort of levity that makes men appear gay prompt and erect but none we may say are wholly destitute of force for action but the common charge upon all sorts of passions is that they excite and urge the reason forcing it by their violent stings fear alone being equally destitute of reason and audacity renders our whole irrational part stupid distracted and unserviceable therefore it is called deima because it binds and tarbos because it distracts the mind but of all fears none so dozes and confounds as that of superstition he fears not the sea that never goes to sea nor a battle that follows not the camp nor robbers that stirs not abroad nor malicious informers that is a poor man nor emulation that leads a private life nor earthquakes that dwells in gaul nor thunderbolts that dwells in ethiopia but he that dreads divine powers dreads everything the land the sea the air the sky the dark the light a sound a silence a dream even slaves forget their masters in their sleep sleep lightens the irons of the fettered their angry sores mortified gangrenes and pinching pains allow them some intermission at night dear sleep sweet easer of my irksome grief pleasant thou art how welcome thy relief superstition will not permit a man to say this that alone will give no truce at night nor suffer the poor soul so much as to breathe or look up or respite her sour and dismal thoughts of god a moment but raises in the sleep of the superstitious as in the place of the damned certain prodigious forms and ghastly spectres and perpetually tortures the unhappy soul chasing her out of sleep into dreams lashed and tormented by her own self as by some other and charged by herself with dire and portentous injunctions neither have they when awake enough sense 
to slight and smile at all this or to be pleased with the thought that nothing of all that terrified them was real but they still fear an empty shadow that could never mean them any ill and cheat themselves afresh at noonday and keep a bustle and are at expense upon the next fortune-teller or vagrant that shall but tell them if in a dream hobgoblin thou hast seen or felt'st the rambling guards o the fairy queen send for some old witch who can purify thee go dip thyself in the sea and then sit down upon the bare ground the rest of the day oh that our greeks should found such barbarous rites as tumbling in mire rolling themselves in dunghills keeping of sabbaths monstrous prostrations long and obstinate sittings in a place and vile and abject adorations and all for vain superstition they that were careful to preserve good singing used to direct the practisers of that science to sing with their mouths in their true and proper postures should not we then admonish those that would address themselves to the heavenly powers to do that also with a true and natural mouth lest while we are so solicitous that the tongue of a sacrifice be pure and right we distort and abuse our own with silly and canting language and thereby expose the dignity of our divine and ancient piety to contempt and raillery it was not unpleasantly said somewhere by the comedian to those that adorned their beds with the needless ornaments of silver and gold since the gods have given us nothing gratis except sleep why will you make that so costly it might as well be said to the superstitious bigot since the gods have bestowed sleep on us to the intent we may take some rest and forget our sorrows why will you needs make it a continual irksome tormentor when you know your poor soul hath ne'er another sleep to betake herself to heraclitus saith they who are awake have a world in common amongst them but they that are asleep are retired each to his own private world but the frightful visionary hath ne'er a world at all either in common with others or in private to himself for neither can he use his reason when awake nor be free from his fears when asleep but he hath his reason always asleep and his fears always awake nor hath he either an hiding-place or refuge polycrates was formidable at samos and so was periander at corinth but no man ever feared either of them that had made his escape to an equal and free government but he that dreads the divine government as a sort of inexorable and implacable tyranny whither can he remove whither can he fly 
what land what sea can he find where god is not wretched and miserable man in what corner of the world canst thou so hide thyself as to think thou hast now escaped him slaves are allowed by the laws when they despair of obtaining their freedom to demand a second sale in hopes of kinder masters but superstition allows of no change of gods nor could he indeed find a god he would not fear that dreads his own and his ancestors guardians that quivers at his preservers and benign patrons and that trembles and shakes at those of whom we ask wealth plenty concord peace and direction to the best words and actions slaves again account it their misfortune to become such and can say both man and wife in direful slavery and with ill masters too fate's worst decree but how much less tolerable think you is their condition that can never possibly run away escape or desert a slave may fly to an altar and many temples afford sanctuary to thieves and they that are pursued by an enemy think themselves safe if they can catch hold on a statue or a shrine but the superstitious fears quivers and dreads most of all there where others when fearfulest take greatest courage never hail a superstitious man from the altar it is his place of torment he is there chastised in one word death itself the end of life puts no period to this vain and foolish dread but it transcends those limits and extends its fears beyond the grave adding to it the imagination of immortal ills and after respite from past sorrows it fancies it shall next enter upon never-ending ones i know not what gates of hell open themselves from beneath rivers of fire together with stygian torrents present themselves to view a gloomy darkness appears full of ghastly spectres and horrid shapes with dreadful aspects and doleful groans together with judges and tormentors pits and caverns full of millions of miseries and woes thus does wretched superstition bring inevitably upon itself by its fancies even those calamities which it has once escaped atheism is attended with none of this true indeed the ignorance is very lamentable and sad for to be blind or to see amiss in matters of this consequence cannot but be a fatal unhappiness to the mind it being then deprived of the fairest and brightest of its many eyes the knowledge of god yet this opinion as hath been said is not necessarily accompanied with any disordering 
ulcerous, frightful or slavish passion. Plato thinks the gods never gave men music, the science of melody and harmony, for mere delectation or to tickle the ear, but in order that the confusion and disorder in the periods and harmonies of the soul, which often for want of the muses and of grace, break forth into extravagance through intemperance and license, might be sweetly recalled, and artfully wound up to their former consent and agreement. No animal accursed by Jove, music's sweet charms can ever love, saith Pindar. For all such will rave and grow outrageous straight. Of this we have an instance in tigers, which, as they say, if they hear but a tabor beat near them, will rage immediately and run stark mad, and, in fine, tear themselves in pieces. They certainly suffer the less inconvenience of the two, who, either through defect of hearing or utter deafness, are wholly insensible of music, and therefore unmoved by it. It was a great misfortune indeed to Tiresias that he wanted sight to see his friends and children, but a far greater to Athamas and Agave to see them in the shape of lions and bucks. And it had been happier for Hercules when he was distracted, if he could have neither seen nor known his children, than to have used like the worst of enemies, those he so tenderly loved. Well, then, is not this the very case of the atheist, compared with the superstitious? The former sees not the gods at all, the latter believes that he really sees them. The former wholly overlooks them, but the latter mistakes their benignity for terror, their paternal affection for tyranny, their providence for cruelty, and their frank simplicity for savageness and brutality. Again, the workman in copper, stone, and wax can persuade such that the gods are in human shape, for so they make them, so they draw them, and so they worship them but they will not hear either philosophers or statesmen that describe the majesty of the divinity as accompanied by goodness, magnanimity, benignity, and beneficence. The one, therefore, hath neither a sense nor belief of that divine good he might participate of, and the other dreads and fears it. In a word, atheism is an absolute insensibility to God, or want of passion, which does not recognize goodness, while superstition is a blind heap of passions which imagine the good to be evil. They are afraid of their gods, and yet run to them, they fawn upon them, and reproach them, they invoke them, and accuse them. It is the common destiny of humanity not 
to enjoy uninterrupted felicity nor pains nor age nor labor they e'er bore nor visited rough acheron's horse shore saith pindar of the gods but human passions and affairs are liable to a strange multiplicity of uncertain accidents and contingencies consider well the atheist and observe his behavior first in things not under the disposal of his will if he be otherwise a man of good temper he is silent under his present circumstances and is providing himself with either remedies or palliatives for his misfortunes but if he be a fretful and impatient man his whole complaint is against fortune he cries out that nothing is managed here below either after the rules of a strict justice or the orderly course of a providence and that all human affairs are hurried and driven without either premeditation or distinction this is not the demeanor of the superstitious if the least thing do but happen amiss to him he sits him down plunged in sorrow and raises himself a vast tempest of intolerable and incurable passions and presents his fancy with nothing but terrors fears surmises and distractions until he hath overwhelmed himself with groans and fears he blames neither man nor fortune nor the times nor himself but charges all upon god from whom he fancies a whole deluge of vengeance to be pouring down upon him and as if he were not only unfortunate but in open hostility with heaven he imagines that he is punished by god and is now making satisfaction for his past crimes and saith that his sufferings are all just and owing to himself again when the atheist falls sick he reckons up and calls to his remembrance his several surfeits and debauches his irregular course of living excessive labors or unaccustomed changes of air or climate likewise when he miscarries in any public administration and either falls into popular disgrace or comes to be ill presented to his prince he searches for the causes in himself and those about him and asks where have i erred what have i done amiss what should be done by me that undone is but the fanciful superstitionist accounts every little distemper in his body or decay in his estate the death of his children and crosses and disappointments in matters relating to the public as the immediate strokes of god and the incursions of some vindictive demon and therefore he dares not attempt to remove or relieve his disasters or to use the least remedy or to oppose himself to them for fear he should seem to struggle with god and to make resistance under correction 
if he be sick he thrusts away the physician if he be in any grief he shuts out the philosopher that would comfort and advise him let me alone saith he to pay for my sins i am a cursed and vile offender and detestable both to god and angels now suppose a man unpersuaded of a divinity in never so great sorrow and trouble you may yet possibly wipe away his tears cut his hair and force away his mourning but how will you come at this superstitious penitentiary either to speak to him or to bring him any relief he sits him down without doors in sackcloth or wrapped up in foul and nasty rags yea many times rolls himself naked in mire repeating over i know not what sins and transgressions of his own as how he did eat this thing and drink the other thing or went some way prohibited by his genius but suppose he be now at his best and labouring under only a mild attack of superstition you shall even then find him sitting down in the midst of his house all becharmed and bespelled with a parcel of old women about him tugging all they can light on and hanging it upon him as to use an expression of beyonds upon some nail or peg it is reported of teribasus that being seized by the persians he drew out his scimitar and being a very stout person defended himself bravely but when they cried out and told him he was apprehended by the king's order he immediately put up his sword and presented his hands to be bound is not this the very case of the superstitious others can oppose their misfortunes repel their troubles and furnish themselves with retreats or means of avoiding the stroke of things not under the disposal of their wills but the superstitious person without anybody's speaking to him but merely upon his own saying to himself this thou undergoest vile wretch by the direction of providence and by heaven's just appointment immediately casts away all hope surrenders himself up and shuns and affronts his friends that would relieve him thus do these sottish fears oftentimes convert tolerable evils into fatal and insupportable ones the ancient midas as the story goes of him being much troubled and disquieted by certain dreams grew so melancholy thereupon that he made himself away by drinking bull's blood aristodemus king of messenia when a war broke out betwixt the lacedaemonians and the messenians upon some dogs howling like wolves and grass coming up about his ancestor's domestic altar and his divines presaging ill upon it fell into such a fit 
of sullenness and despair that he slew himself and perhaps it had been better if the athenian general nicias had been eased of his folly the same way that midas and aristodemus were than for him to sit still for fear of a lunar eclipse while he was invested by an enemy and so be himself made a prisoner together with an army of forty thousand men that were all either slain or taken and die ingloriously there was nothing formidable in the interposition of the earth betwixt the sun and the moon neither was there anything dreadful in the shadows meeting the moon at the proper time no the dreadfulness lay here that the darkness of ignorance should blind and befool a man's reason at a time when he had most occasion to use it glaucus behold the sea with billows deep begins to roll the seas begin in azure rods to lie a teeming cloud of pitch hangs on the sky right o'er gyre rocks there is a tempest nigh which as soon as the pilot sees he falls to his prayers and invokes his tutelar demons but neglects not in the meantime to hold to the rudder and let down the mainyard and so by gathering in his sails with mighty pain escapes the hell-pits of the raging main hesiod directs his husbandman before he either plough or sow to pray to the infernal jove and the venerable ceres but with his hand upon the plough-tail homer acquaints us how ajax being to engage in a single combat with hector bade the grecians pray to the gods for him and while they were at their devotions he was putting on his armor likewise after agamemnon had thus prepared his soldiers for the fight each make his spear to glitter as the sun each see his warlike target well hung on he then prayed grant me great jove to throw down priam's roof for god is the brave man's hope and not the coward's excuse the jews indeed once sat on their tails it being forsooth their sabbath day and suffered their enemies to rear their scaling ladders and make themselves masters of their walls and so lay still until they were caught like so many trout in the dragnet of their own superstition such then is the behavior of superstition in times of adversity and in things out of the power of man's will nor doth it a jot excel atheism in the more agreeable and pleasurable part of our lives now what we esteem the most agreeable things in human life are our holidays temple feasts initiatings processionings with our public prayers and solemn devotions 
mark we now the atheist's behavior here tis true he laughs at all that is done with a frantic and sardonic laughter and now and then whispers to a confidant of his the devil is in these people sure that can imagine god can be taken with these fooleries but this is the worst of his disasters but now the superstitious man would fain be pleasant and gay but cannot for his heart the whole town is filled with odors of incense and perfumes and at the same time a mixture of hymns and sighs fills his poor soul he looks pale with a garland on his head he sacrifices and fears prays with a faltering tongue and offers incense with a trembling hand in a word he utterly baffles that saying of pythagoras that we are then best when we come near the gods for the superstitious person is then in his worst and most pitiful condition when he approaches the shrines and temples of the gods so that i cannot but wonder at those that charge atheism with impiety and in the meantime acquit superstition anaxagoras was indicted of blasphemy for having affirmed the sun to be a red-hot stone yet the cimmerians were never much blamed for denying his being what is he that holds there is no god guilty of impiety and is not he that describes him as the superstitious do much more guilty i for my own part had much rather people should say of me that there neither is nor ever was such a man as plutarch then they should say plutarch is an unsteady fickle froward vindictive and touchy fellow if you invite others to sup with you and chance to leave out plutarch or if some business falls out that you cannot wait at his door with the morning salute or if when you meet with him you don't speak to him he'll fasten upon you somewhere with his teeth and bite the part through or catch one of your children and cane him or turn his beast into your corn and spoil your crop when timotheus the musician was one day singing at athens an hymn to diana in which among other things was this mad raving tearing foaming deity Canisius, the lyric poet stood up from the midst of the spectators and spoke aloud i wish thee with all my heart such a goddess to thy daughter timotheus such like nay worse are the conceits of the superstitious about this goddess diana thou dost on the bedclothes jump and there liest like a lump thou dost tantalize the bride when love's charms by thee are tied thou look'st grim and full of dread when thou walk'st to find the dead thou down chairs and tables rumblest when with oberon thou tumblest 
nor have they any milder sentiments of apollo juno or venus for they are equally scared with them all alas what could poor niobe ever say that could be so reflecting upon the honour of latona as that which superstition makes fools believe of her niobe it seems had given her some hard words for which she fairly shot her six daughters and six sons full in their prime so impatient was she and insatiate with the calamities of another now if the goddess was really thus choleric and vindictive and so highly incensed with bad language and if she had not the wisdom to smile at human frailty and ignorance but suffered herself to be thus transported with passion i much marvel she did not shoot them too that told this cruel story of her and charged her both in speech and writing with so much spleen and rancour we oft accuse queen hecuba of barbarous and savage bitterness for having once said in homer would god i had his liver twixt my teeth yet the superstitious believe if a man taste of a minnow or bleak the syrian goddess will eat his shins through fill his body with sores and dissolve his liver is it a sin then to speak amiss of the gods and is it not to think amiss of them and is not thinking the cause of speaking ill for the only reason of our dislike to detraction is that we look upon it as a token of ill-will to us and we therefore take those for our enemies that misrepresent us because we look upon them as untrusty and disaffected you see then what the superstitious think of the divinity while they fancy the gods such heady faithless fickle revengeful cruel and fretful things the consequence of which is that the superstitious person must needs both fear and hate them at once and indeed how can he otherwise choose while he thinks the greatest calamities he either doth now or must hereafter undergo are wholly owing to them now he that both hates and fears the gods must of necessity be their enemy and if he trembles fears prostrates sacrifices and sits perpetually in their temples that is no marvel at all for the very worst of tyrants are complimented and attended yea have statues of gold erected to them by those who in private hate them and wag their heads hermolaus waited on alexander and pausanias was of philip's guard and so was chirea of caligula's yet every one of these said i warrant you in his heart as he went along 
had i a power as my will is good know this bold tyrant i would have thy blood the atheist believes there are no gods the superstitious would have none but is a believer against his will and would be an infidel if he durst he would be as glad to ease himself of the burden of his fear as tantalus would be to slip his head from under the great stone that hangs over him and would bless the condition of the atheist as absolute freedom compared with his own the atheist now has nothing to do with superstition while the superstitious is an atheist in his heart but is too much a coward to think as he is inclined moreover atheism hath no hand at all in causing superstition but superstition not only gave atheism its first birth but serves it ever since by giving it its best apology for existing which although it be neither a good nor a fair one is yet the most specious and colourable for men were not at first made atheists by any fault they found in the heavens or stars or in the seasons of the year or in those revolutions or motions of the sun about the earth that make the day and night nor yet by observing any mistake or disorder either in the breeding of animals or the production of fruits no it was the uncouth actions and ridiculous and senseless passions of superstition her canting words her foolish gestures her charms her magic her freakish processions her taborings her foul expiations her vile methods of purgation and her barbarous and inhuman penances and bemirings at the temples it was these i say that gave occasion to many to affirm it would be far happier there were no gods at all than for them to be pleased and delighted with such fantastic toys and to thus abuse their votaries and to be incensed and pacified with trifles had it not been much better for the so much famed gauls and scythians to have neither thought nor imagined nor heard anything of their gods than to have believed them such as would be pleased with the blood of human sacrifices and would account such for the most complete and meritorious of expiations how much better had it been for the carthaginians to have had either a critias or a diagoras for their first lawmaker that so they might have believed in neither god nor spirits than to make such offerings to saturn as they made not such as empedocles speaks of where he thus touches the sacrifices of beasts the sire lifts up his dear beloved son who first some other form and shape did take he doth him slay 
and sacrifice anon and therewith vows and foolish prayers doth make but they knowingly and wittingly themselves devoted their own children and they that had none of their own bought of some poor people and then sacrificed them like lambs or pigeons the poor mother standing by the while without either a sigh or tear and if by chance she fetched a sigh or let fall a tear she lost the price of her child but it was nevertheless sacrificed all the places round the image were in the meantime filled with the noise of hautboys and tabors to drown the poor infant's crying suppose we now the typhons and giants should depose the gods and make themselves masters of mankind what sort of sacrifices think you would they expect or what other expiations would they require the queen of king xerxes amestris buried twelve men alive as a sacrifice to pluto to prolong her own life and yet plato saith this god is called in greek hades because he is placid wise and wealthy and retains the souls of men by persuasion and oratory that great naturalist xenophanes seeing the egyptians beating their breasts and lamenting at the solemn times of their devotions gave them this pertinent and seasonable admonition if they are gods said he don't cry for them and if they are men don't sacrifice to them there is certainly no infirmity belonging to us that contains such a multiplicity of errors and fond passions or that consists of such incongruous and incoherent opinions as this of superstition doth it behooves us therefore to do our utmost to escape it but withal we must see we do it safely and prudently and not rashly and inconsiderately as people run from the incursions of robbers or from fire and fall into bewildered and untrodden paths full of pits and precipices for so some while they would avoid superstition leap over the golden mean of true piety into the harsh and coarse extreme of atheism End of section 14